Hello, and welcome to the Better Man Clinics, the podcast where we talk to actual experts to address the questions that men want answered, but are either too embarrassed to ask or simply do not know who to ask. Before we, do, before we get started, I do want to caution that the conversations on this podcast are for informational purposes only. They don't represent a medical consultation, nor do they present medical advice to individuals. Rather, we hope that the podcast empowers men with the knowledge and confidence to address these issues with their healthcare providers. As with any medical or wellness issues, you should always consult with your healthcare provider before beginning any type of treatment or preventative intervention. With that being said, in today's episode, we discuss a topic that concerns men of all ages, hair loss and baldness. Hair loss in men is extremely common, affecting approximately 50% of men within their lifetimes. While most men are concerned about baldness, many don't realize that hair loss is not a foregone conclusion. They don't know the ways to potentially prevent and treat this condition. In order to tackle this very important subject, we are happy to welcome a true expert. Dr. Elena Kandel is a licensed and board-certified dermatologist who commonly treats men for hair loss. After studying biology at UCLA, she went on to graduate from medical school at UC Irvine and then completed her dermatology training at USC. She's since been practicing dermatology in Los Angeles for the last 17 years. And with that, I bring you the Better Man Clinics podcast. All right. Hello and welcome to Better Man Clinics. With us today, we are delighted to have Dr. Elena Kandel. licensed and board certified dermatologist and who better to help us solve the problem of hair loss and baldness. Dr. Kandel, welcome to the program. Thank you. Thank you. It's a pleasure having you here and our audience really uh, appreciates your insights and knowledge about this topic, which is very important to men because as you know, uh, baldness and hair loss affects up to 50% of men throughout their lifetime. And it's a, it's a problem that's near and dear to all of our hearts. So again, thank you for, for the insights. Um, we're going to start off before we dive into the actual details of hair loss. We wa- I want to actually get an understanding of your patients. So men that come to see you with problems of hair loss, are they usually the typical middle-aged man who sees hair loss as part of aging? Or is it, do you see a lot of 20 and 30-year-olds that, uh, that face the same problem? Yeah, it's interesting because uh, obviously in it, hair loss can start as early as teens, um, but it's not noticeable probably till the 20s, if anything. I actually do have a fair number of young men, um, early 20s, late teens coming in, noticing, and then once they go online and see that it can stop, start that early, um, they usually panic and want to seek treatment before it gets to be that noticeable that, you know, people know that they're going bald. So I think I see young men as as early as 20. And then, you know, probably into the 50s is stretching it because by that point, um, they already know what's going on. And either they're on treatment or they've kind of given up. Got it. So it would be safe to say then when men seeing a dermatologist or other healthcare professional for hair loss, they're really kind of in the early stages of hair loss. Yes, yes. And I think it's kind of true for many diseases is the people who see the dermatologist are the one who care about their appearance and who will, you know, try to catch it very early, even if there isn't a significant amount of hair loss yet. Got it. Well, that's important to know because you really want to, you really want to get ahead of this, right? Because I guess once it's, once the, the die is cast, it's a little too hard to go back. In many yes. Ways. Yes. It's much easier to start with a, you know, almost a full head of hair and keep it that way than to grow back a whole head of hair. Perfect. Well, that's an important insight right there. So we're going to dive into to hair loss and we're going to ask the question that, you know, is often asked by many, why me? Um, you know, both in terms of those men that are already have hair loss or balding or those that are at risk, right? So in terms of causes, um, if you do a Google search today, there's going to be inordinate number of pages that come up from everything that makes a lot of sense to things that are just way out there in left field. And I'm sure our listeners would love to hear from an expert into really what really can cause this and what doesn't. And that's also very important, as you can imagine, in terms of their understanding of prevention, right? Because some things you can't work around and others you can't. One of the things that I've seen uh, 
over and over again as genetic causes, particularly, you know, you hear if your mom's dad is, has hair loss, forget it. You can chalk it up. You're going to be bald. That's, that's the end of the story. Yeah. Is that true or to what extent? Well, to a certain extent, um, well, to a full extent, we know that genetics plays a big role in it. To a lesser extent, is it as simple as your maternal grandfather is bald and you're going to be bald? Um, so they identified a couple of genes, probably more than a couple of genes that are associated with baldness, um, most of which center around uh, testosterone and testosterone receptors and how sensitive your receptors are to testosterone. Um, because bald men don't necessarily have high testosterone. It's, it's a matter of how sensitive their scalp is to that testosterone and the, and the byproducts. So basically the chances are if your either grandfather is bald, you're more likely to be bald. Um, I've read that if your father is bald, you're five times more likely to be bald than someone whose father is not. Um, really? And there are, yeah, and there are some of the major genes that have been found, one of this is this AR gene um, that we think is, uh, again, involved in the testosterone receptor. I think that is on the X chromosome, which is in, in fact inherited from the mom's side. But as I said, they found now that there's so many confounding factors that it's not as easy to say. But we know genetics is probably the most important part. We just don't know how to predict that that well. Got it. So obviously genetics, not something we have tremendous control over, but at least we know that it does play a role. So if nothing else, I guess, if your family members do have a full head of hair, at least that's, that's one, uh, one positive yes, in your direction. That decreases your chances. Now let's take a step back because you mentioned a few times testosterone. Okay. And so for uh, the men that are listening to us that are kind of, you know, not, not uh, medically oriented testosterone, as we know, is kind of the, the male hormone, right? It's the hormone that, that gives men male qualities, whether it's a deeper voice or, or more hair or other things that, that can make men, men. What's that relationship between that and hair loss? Like why, why testosterone? And, and the other thing that we see a lot is dehydrotestosterone, which yeah. uh, some men listening might know that well because of the prostate. How does that all connect? What is that the relationship between those hormones and hair? So we know that testosterone and, and probably more importantly, dihydrotestosterone or DHT, we'll call it, um, we know that those promote hair loss in men. And uh, DHT is basically the active metabolite of testosterone. And basically in the, there's different types of receptors for these ones in the prostate and ones in the scalp, although related are a little bit different. So there's, there's two different kinds of enzymes that work on them. And on the scalp, it actually, um, it affects the way the hair follicles, um, mature and it causes the hair follicles to become what we call, we call it miniaturization. So um, essentially what's happening is um, each hair follicle is becoming thinner and thinner. So the space gets wider and wider. And it also shortens what we call the antigen or the growth phase of the hair. So normally your hair has a growth phase, a rest phase, and then a death phase. So if the, if the rest and death phase are longer and the growth phase is shorter and the hair follicles are getting thinner and thinner, you can see how that eventually, you know, spreads into very little hair and, and, and just space, so to speak. Um, yeah. Got it. And, and we, so, go sorry, ahead. go ahead. No, I said, so basically the hairs cover less, less scalp. Got it. And all of this is really dehydrotestosterone really has a big yeah. impact on those yeah. so it's, phases. It's, exactly. Yes. So there's an enzyme that converts it. And, and that's basically where all the a lot of the hair loss therapies are targeted towards these enzymes. Certainly. And we're going to obviously, we'll, we'll keep that in mind as we, as we shift over to treatment. But another thing that you said that's important is that uh, I thought that the one thing that bald men have going for them is they say they're really macho, right? Because their testosterone is so high, but I guess that's not necessarily the case. It's just how their hair follicles respond to that testosterone. Exactly. Exactly. Got it. Good to know. So again, whereas we can't really control our testosterone to that extent, or nor do we want to, as you said, there are therapeutics that we'll talk about a little bit later that can manipulate that a little bit. So what about um, 
other medical problems. Uh, you know, healthy men obviously lose their hair just as, as, as unhealthy men, but I understand there's other medical conditions that might predispose men to hair loss. Is that, uh, is that mechanism the same as typical men's baldness or is that a whole different mechanism? Well, we don't know. So we don't know, are, are they comorbidities, meaning do they just go together or is something that's causing um, diabetes and high blood pressure and heart disease the same thing that's causing the baldness? And uh, so we do see in men who tend to be bald, they have higher rates of heart disease, um, especially if you have hair loss in the vertex of the scalp, which is back here, like the crown. Mm -hmm. um, overall, we see higher rates of high, high blood pressure, um, obesity, obviously, insulin resistance or diabetes. Um, and probably you're knowledgeable about this, that there is an increased risk of prostate cancer. And whether that is a significant fact, should we be screening bald men for these conditions um, because they have a higher rate or is it just something that kind of goes together? I don't actually know how much higher risk of prostate cancer, but I imagine maybe those receptors are more sensitive to the testosterone as well because they right. do get more prostate enlargement from what I understand. Right. And so with prostate, with the prostate, we can see the connection based on hormones, because, you know, for our listeners, uh, you know, the prostate is very sensitive to testosterone and dehydrotestosterone too. And so there's a definite connection with other medical problems, though, like with diabetes, or uh, I understand thyroid disorders, or even lupus, um, that hair loss connection, I guess, would be a different mechanism, I assume. Yeah, yeah. So when you're talking about um, autoimmune conditions, like, you know, someone has low thyroid or high thyroid, um, Hashimoto's or Graves, or if someone has, um, you know, type one diabetes, uh, or lupus, uh, that hair loss is probably not what we call androgenic or male pattern baldness. That probably is more related to inflammation. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, with, with the thyroid, we think it's something called telogen effluvium, which is um, just stress on the body. Sometimes if there's different stresses on the body, then it shuts down functions that aren't necessary. So hair and nails may stop growing in times of acute stress. If you, you know, have a, a big weight loss or a major surgery, you may notice people will notice that their hair starts falling out after these stressful events, or they notice ridges in the nails where they stop growing during that time. But those usually when those problems are, you know, attended to those usually will resolve and the hair will come back in, you know, a year or so. Got it. So the, it, you're kind of saying that, you know, this is the body's way of conserving resources. So if there's exactly. a big hit to exactly. the body, it's going to focus on what's going to keep you alive, not necessarily things like hair and nails. Yes, and are... that, that type of hair loss with regards to medical conditions, that's not a, a male oriented type problem. Women can lose their hair in that type oh, of yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm saying. That one's not related to androgen. But what you mentioned earlier in terms of the heart disease and the prostate and the diabetes, those are linked with um, androgenic alopecia or male pattern baldness. And again, we don't know if it's cause and effect or just similar things that are causing the male pattern, meaning is there a testosterone factor that plays a role in, you know, heart disease and diabetes uh, mm -hmm. versus different mechanisms. And to that same extent, I would assume then, because we don't have that direct correlation that if somebody is a diabetic, correcting their diabetes or improving their diabetes is not necessarily going to affect their effect on hair loss, because it's not that kind of linear relationship. Right? No, no. It's just something more for, you know, study purposes and, and, and an interesting fact, except in the prostate cancer. I mean, I don't know how useful that would be as a screening and, you know, to what extent it would be helpful in, in following those people more closely for prostate cancer. Right. Again, because of the more direct relationship and reliance on the hormone testosterone yes, rather exactly. than the other problems. Understood. Yeah. Understood. And what about medicines? I mean, people are taking so much more medicines uh, today than they had been before. Oh, yeah. Um, and again, many medicines you look up, you know, one of the side effects would be hair loss. Um, mm -hmm. But again, that would be different. So those medications, unless you're taking a testosterone supplement, um, although I don't know if those actually 
work on the scalp as well, because I don't necessarily know if the bodybuilders lose hair. I've never actually had a complaint from the, you know, the men who take testosterone supplements about hair loss. Mm -hmm. uh, most of the medication hair loss um, usually would be something related to what we call the telogen effluvium, meaning it kind of arrests the hair from growing or, mm -hmm. you know, more serious medications like chemotherapy for cancers. Those actually just obviously arrest the hair growth and it falls out. But those are reversible once you figure out what the medication is and, and switch to a different or stop the medication, that hair will usually come back. Got it. Got it. So, you know, it looks like we, we came across two, uh, the, all the topics we discussed so far, you know, genetics, hormones, medical conditions, medications, those are real causes for hair loss to varying extents. You have two buckets there, right? What, one is the, the, with genetics and hormones causing what we consider male pattern baldness and lay people to describe it. And the others are kind of contributing to a temporary hair loss due to your body taking a hit. Now, none of those really men have control over, right? I mean, uh, the, the ones that are temporary, their hair will come back and hopefully once their conditions are under control, genetics and hormones, they don't really have that much control over. But now I, I wanna actually switch over to uh, what I like to call fact versus fiction. Uh, okay. Because again, when you go to Dr. Google, all kinds of things start popping up. And this relates more to things that people do have control over and whether those, those lifestyle choices or activities, behaviors can affect the possibility for hair loss. So this is kind of that I think would be, it's good to know what can cause it that you don't have control over, but it's better to know what can cause things that you can prevent. Prevent, yeah. So the first thing I think you've already covered to some extent, which is stress, but you covered like stress on the body from the standpoint of short-term hair loss, uh, again, with that hit of conserving resources, that hair that can come back. Uh, what about for male pattern baldness? If you're just talking the, the typical healthy man, would the level of stress impact hair loss, aside from the stress making you pull your own hair out? Yeah. Uh, would, would, uh, would your body naturally lose hair just from if you have a more stressful life than somebody else does? I, I think if you have a baseline higher stress, probably not. But um, the stress doesn't have to be a medical stressor. So as you said, if there's a significant stress in your life that's causing you, you know, excess stress, and, and, and I think that translates into less, you know, you sleep less, you're eating poorly. Um, so I think it's not just the fact that your brain is stressed, I, I feel that other things are going to contribute to that, you probably would get hair loss, but again, that would be reversible, you know, unless the stress goes on indefinitely, but it wouldn't be probably the type that's sensitive to the testosterone and DHT. And again, it also would be short-term and reversible in that sense. Exactly, okay. exactly. Once, once we usually figure out what's going on and we're able to manage it, uh, you know, and things you obviously, I tell people a lot of times when I do think it's stress-related, you know, it's sometimes good to, to do things that decrease the stress, whatever that may be for every person. Sure. And which could help all around with their overall health and well-being as well. Mm -hmm. Sure. Which is great. Now, what about diet? We, you know, we, it seems like everything from heart disease to cancer, any medical condition uh, is diet related. Oh, who's, he just wants this? to say hello. Now he's leaving. <laughs> <laughs> he looks like he has no problem with, with no, no, we, we have all. the opposite problem. He must have very low DHT. <laughs> there you go. Well, listen, we've, we've, we've had done our first canine diagnosis here. on Better yes. Tonight, but, yes, go ahead. Uh, I, I didn't hear your last question. Not, not a problem. Not a problem. So with uh, it's, always good to have a special guests on the program. Yes, I'm like, we have a special surprise guest. He really likes the camera too. And, uh, but I can, he's, he looks good. Um, so with, you know, diet uh, is huge now, right? Uh, in anything, I'm sure your patients, uh, anything from heart disease to cancer to anything in between, there seems to have been an impact from diet. Um, I've seen online, and again, I don't know how credible that there's, there's uh, questions about whether a vegetarian diet, for instance, might impact hair loss because of the lack of protein, uh, certainly. Well, I, I, I'm, yeah, well, I'm guessing diet will impact hair loss, but it wouldn't be the androgenic hair loss. Mm -hmm. uh, so of course, you know, we see people who go on crazy diets, or we see people who go vegetarian without really knowing that 
where they should be getting their protein from or taking supplements as needed. But I, again, that would be reversible and we would definitely diagnose, you know, they would have a deficiency, whether it's, you know, B12 or biotin, and that would be addressed and fixed with the, eating those foods or taking the supplement and the hair should come back. So yes, diet most definitely would affect it, but probably, you know, if you went on a super high protein diet, it wouldn't help your male pattern baldness. But on the flip side, if I am, I notice my hair thinning and I decide I want to start the latest and the greatest uh, vegetarian or vegan diet, is that something to keep in mind that it might impact? Oh, for sure. I mean, if you, if you're going to start a new diet, um, you definitely need to research what things you won't be eating and where you can get those comparable vitamins, minerals, and things that you need in your diet and, you know, amino acids, especially for hair. So, you know, if you're going to do a restrictive diet, um, you would lose hair whether you have a tendency to male pattern baldness or not. So you, it would always be wise to thoroughly research if you need to take supplements and what kind of things you need if you're going to do this long term. And this is an important point. You know, people who go on diets, they hear something great. They attribute diet as just an effect on your weight, uh, you know, or your appearance in terms of your weight. But, you know, it, it, your diet affects so many parts of your health. And this is kind of why that public service announcement is necessary. Like when you take on an intervention like that, you always have to talk to your um, uh healthcare provider to, to at least get an understanding, right? Whether that's your dermatologist or your primary care doctor or someone in between to understand, mm -hmm. Hey, you know, I'm taking this on, is this going to impact what I really worry about? Like in this case, hair loss, for instance, Yeah. because uh, you, there, you may have untoward side effects that you weren't expecting. Now, another, another thing that we hear a lot about a serious issue we hear about with cosmetics is smoking. Uh, how much does that play a role? Um, honestly, in everyday practice, I can't say that um, I've noticed it as a contributor. Um, obviously, uh, smoking probably decreases the blood supply and the oxygen to the scalp. So I imagine that would uh, would have some impact. Um, and it's obviously not good for many other reasons. Mm -hmm. But in terms of genetically altering you know, your predisposition or bringing out your male pattern baldness at a certain age. I don't think that's related to like when you started smoking. Got it. Got it. Always good to try to stop smoking. But again, we yes, can't I was point say, the there's finger. Many, many other reasons why you shouldn't smoke, but um, I don't think it would change what, what genetically you're predisposed to. Got it. So now we're going to go to the little bit of the, of the left field version of, of fact versus fiction that I want to run by you. And again, maybe these are correct. They just sound a little bit interesting. And they sound interesting because a lot of this is things my mother used to tell me to do to, to not go bald when I was a kid. Uh, so, right. So one thing was wearing hats because I don't know, maybe it, it uh, suffocates the hair follicles. Maybe it does. Oh, wearing, I want to hear wearing, from the expert. No, I thought you were going to say the opposite, that wearing a hat would help because it protects your scalp from the sun. Well, listen, you, I will I will take either argument from, but, but that's why I want to hear from the expert. I'm sure there are competing theories here about hats. So I, I don't think I've heard of the not wear, of the wearing a hat causes the hair loss um, mm -hmm. argument. Um, I could possibly see if you, uh, if your scalp gets exposed to a lot of sun and, um, but no, I think actually the opposite. So we use, so there's certain baldness that can be treated with actual UV light treatment. There's an autoimmune type of alopecia that we treat that way. So in essence, if you do expose your scalp, I don't think it would cause hair loss, nor do I think that suffocating your hair follicles would cause the hair loss. Yeah, the theory my mother had, and I can share this with you openly, is that the hair actually just, I mean, sorry, the hat actually compresses the hair against your scalp, that it literally suffocates the hair follicles. And I, I bought into this fully, uh, but, you know, I, in doing, you know, doing some research for this, for this episode here, um, I, she wasn't alone. There's a lot on the internet. I oh, mean, really? nothing, from, nothing from particularly credible sources, but yeah. there, there's a lot out there, like with that theory that you, you don't want to suffocate your hair follicles with, with that baseball hat. So, yeah, I mean, I can a wear lot my of the Dodgers hat. Is what yes, I think you're fine. Yes. And I think a lot of the treatments that are out there are focusing on like increasing blood supply and oxygen and all this stuff. But I don't think a hat uh, would contribute enough that it's an issue. Got it. So moving on from there to um, brushing your hair. 
So uh, some say, you know, we, we've got all kinds of theories now. So like some would say that if you brush your hair too aggressively, you're going to pull your hair out that way. So you have to kind of be very gentle with your hair when you brush it. What do we think well, about that? Now? Yeah, again, I think long term, you're probably not going to change the outcome. But I do advise um, people who are experiencing hair loss, A, to probably try not to wash your hair as frequently. To wash your hair. To not wash your hair. Uh -huh, uh -huh. So, you know, I advise people to try not to wash their hair every day. Other than the U.S., most countries in the world do not wash their hair on a daily basis, and it doesn't really require it. You kind of need that oil to protect the scalp and the hair follicles and the cuticles, so to speak. So I always say you lose a certain amount of hair every day. It's normal. We all do. On the days that you wash your hair, you probably lose double. Really? So if you're That's doubling the amount of time you wash your hair, you probably are doubling the amount of hair loss because obviously you are manipulating it and pulling it a little bit when you are washing your hair. It's probably worse for women who have longer hair because there's a lot more traction going on. But I think there's some truth with men as well. So just to clarify, during the hair washing process, is it the fact that you're running your fingers through your hair and kind of pulling it or is it just yeah, actually the water? No, I think it's just the massaging and the pulling, like you're saying. And those hairs probably were, were already in, you know, what we call at that point, like antigen or telogen phase, meaning they've stopped growing. So they were going to come out, but maybe they would have already been replaced with one hair that was growing that would be noticeable if you didn't pull this one out too short. You know what I mean? So it allows the hairs coming in to kind of naturally pull, push those hairs out versus removing it sooner and making it look like you have less hair got it so i mean this obviously a lot of things go into this but like what is a recommended number of times you shower you wash your hair per week not shower because people can shower without yeah, washing say, their hair you can shower, especially for men that's not difficult so shower you don't need to wash your hair i would say two to three times a week for hair is probably more than adequate and, and you know oh, go ahead and it's okay to get your hair wet. It's just that you don't want to do that, that rubbing. Yeah. And brushing yeah. Hair. And honestly, I mean, you don't even necessarily need to get it wet if you don't want to, because you can shower from the neck down, wash your face and be fine. Mm -hmm. um, and you can avoid washing it every day. Got it. Well, that's helpful. So two to three times a week, that, that makes sense. Yeah. So then the, the argument about hard water in the shower, then that shouldn't have too much of an impact one way or the other. No, okay, no. So we don't need to put the expensive shower heads with the filters and all that kind no, of stuff. Okay, no. good. Well, that's good to know. Let's save, save people some money on this side, yeah. right? So, you know, we're talking about um, washing our hair. Does it matter what we use, like in terms of like some guys use hair product? Uh, like gels, or I don't even know what they're called. Uh, uh, does that change anything in terms of your the health of your hair? No, no, probably not. I, I don't. I don't think it does. I, I tell people that I don't believe that it's any of the leave-in products um, that would cause the hair loss. You so know, if you're doing um, things like perms or like the Brazilian blowouts where you're straightening the hair, those probably could damage the hair and cause more hair to fall out. I mean, again, mm -hmm. that hair would come back you know, in a right. few months, but I think in the short term that the gels and things probably don't make a difference. They don't impact negatively the health of the hair or anything like that. Just, just by having that product in your hair, potentially. No, no. Excellent. Okay. So um, anything else from, in terms of, uh, and thank you, this fact versus fiction was great because it actually, you know, helps to understand what you can and can't do physically. Uh -huh. right? Anything else from in terms of prevention side that you can think of that you would want to share with the audience in terms of what they what you would recommend to them in terms of, hey, you know what, my hair is thinning, uh, anything to do in terms of my activities to prevent it? I mean, we know, and again, we don't know if it's cause and effect, but we know obviously obesity, diabetes, high blood pressure and heart disease are related. So obviously trying to minimize the chances for any of those. And some of those you do have control of, especially your weight, which obviously can lead to the high blood pressure and the diabetes. Um, maybe that will in some ways help prevent some of the hair shedding, you know, to happen so young. But I think a lot, big chunk of this sadly is hereditary, you know, so we see some, some boys in their teens starting to, where the hair starts to, you know, recede as we call it, you know, in the temple areas. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that that point about that overall health is an important one. You know, I I see this, you know, in patients in urology as well, where you have this constellation of medical problems, right? Whether it be obesity, being overweight, having diabetes, high blood pressure, cholesterol, which which doctors often call the metabolic syndrome. They impact so many things. Like, again, from what I see every day, they impact kid people with kidney stones, even though you'd imagine what's the relationship there. They can Mm -hmm. impact the risk of heart disease. They can impact the risk of cancer. And uh, certainly uh, they can impact to some extent uh, hair loss, at least uh, peripherally. And so that's why it's, it's when we think about health holistically, you know, really uh, battling things like weight gain appropriately, really keeping a healthy diet, really exercising and maintaining that overall health. It really has this, you know, this spider web effect that it really affects so many aspects of health and wellness that it just yeah. can't be understated. That's so, true. so now we've talked about prevention. We did everything we could, but we look in the mirror and you know what? You're looking like me. You got a little, you got a little thinning here going on, uh, maybe in the front, maybe in the back, maybe both. And you think this is still salvageable. I can still, I can still make something of this. It's not too late. Where do we go from here? And I'd like to start with kind of like the simplest, most innocuous things and kind of make our way through to, True. you know, the, yeah. the more kind of aggressive treatment. So even if we're starting with the, with the super, uh, super simple things that you can get in the supermarket, like uh, shampoos. Right. Like uh, I've, I've heard that uh, there's different types of shampoos. I even heard like head and shoulders can can sometimes help with that. What's your thought about shampoos and preventing hair loss? I mean, you know, I kind of scoffed at it at first, but um, in, in doing a little research, um, you're right. So zinc, which one of the head and shoulders has zinc, not all of them, but you can just get the pyrithiene zinc shampoos. Um, or the DHS zinc shampoos. Um, And they have shown in studies, like usually over a six month period, that they do increase the hair density. Um, You know, when you compare it with minoxidil, it's probably less than half as effective. But in somebody who doesn't want to use minoxidil or doesn't want to deal with using the, the minoxidil, that would be a good option because as you said, you have to wash your hair anyway, and why not start getting improvement? And um, so the head and shoulders, the DHS zinc are over the counter. Another one um, I think you mentioned, or we're going to mention is the ketoconazole or the Nizerol shampoo. So mm-hmm. the 1% is over the counter, so you can buy it anywhere. Um, and again, they've mostly done small, you know, small trials uncontrolled, um, and they've shown that it does increase hair density in men over a six month period. Mm-hmm. And so those are two things that are, as you said, very easy to do. And if you're just starting to notice some hair thinning and, you know, you're a young man thinking, I don't really want to get into this whole, you know, treatment thing, just switch your shampoo and, you know, maybe you'll buy yourself a couple of years where it kind of slows it down enough that you don't need anything else. Right. Because I mean, I see this uh, aside from, you know, minoxidil or Rogaine, which we'll talk about in a minute. This is mm-hmm. just something you're going to the supermarket, you got to pick out a shampoo, uh, yeah. you might as well pick one that might help. Now, do we have any idea as to the mechanism behind this? Like why? I mean, head and shoulders, I know it helps my dandruff, but why would it help me get thicker hair? Well, we're thinking maybe the zinc is some form of anti-inflammatory and maybe the testosterone is a pro-inflammatory because, you know, that's Mm -hmm. why it could be associated with the heart disease and things like that. And we know ketoconazole is an anti-inflammatory. And I know that orally ketoconazole can cause things like we call gynecomastia, which is like when, when men get bigger breasts. So there may be something with the ketoconazole also having some kind of anti-testosterone properties. Um, You know, it's hard to say how much of it would get into the scalp from the shampoo, but I guess enough to show some improvement. Right, right. And yeah, 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 and I didn't look into which I should check to see if oral ketoconazole has been tried. Not that I would use it because it's an antifungal medication, but um, it would be an interesting thought to see if oral ketoconazole has been tried for uh, male pattern baldness. Yeah, because, you know, ketoconazole is, as as I know, you know, is a treatment for prostate cancer, for advanced prostate cancer. Oh, I I did not know that. But yeah, yeah, so that that I can see the connection there, Uh, you know, with T with T and DHT, it kind of does peripherally, but the the zinc, I had no idea, but that 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 kind of makes sense to me for sure. Yeah. Um, The one that, okay, so 
you had mentioned minoxidil. We might as well go to that because that's the one that you always hear about the commercials for. A Rogaine yeah. this, Rogaine that. There's different forms and whatnot. Uh, first question, um, is, it, is that over the counter or is that prescription? That minoxidil is over the counter. So trade name was Rogaine. They still have Rogaine available. Uh, minoxidil is the generic same thing, half the cost. Um, they make a 2% for women, but even for women, I recommend the 5% because it's obviously more effective. They've actually done the study. So 5% minoxidil, and um, that really does work. And we used to think it's just by increasing blood flow to the scalp because it's a vasodilator. So it brings better blood supply, more oxygen, hair can grow better, but they've actually shown that it also increases the length of the growth phase of hair follicles. Okay. And whether that's by improving the oxygen and blood supply or a different mechanism, we don't know, but um, we know minoxidil does improve, um, you know, the longevity of hair. Got it. And so, uh, so minoxidil 2% or 5%, is that a cream? Is that a gel? What, what, how does that comment? There's a couple of versions. It comes as a liquid. Mm hmm which if you're a bald man, pretty easy to put on. Um, it comes as a foam, which I kind of prefer, uh, especially if you do have hair, because I feel it's easier to kind of get it into the scalp um, as a foam versus the liquid, which can be a little messy. Mm -hmm. And so they, do you, do, sorry, go ahead. No, that's it. Uh, do, do you put this in, like, I, I have no experience with this. So, so uh, bear with me as I'm sure a lot of listeners don't, do you put this in like a shampoo and wash it out? Do you put this in like dry hair and it, lo it looks like a gel basically that, that you're like a product? Well, or something? You, no, no. Sadly, it, you just put it in and hope that it doesn't mess up your hairstyle too much. And as I said, if you're a fairly balding man, you know, you have little to worry about. Um, but if you have a lot of hair, it probably will affect like the texture. I don't think it behaves as a gel necessarily to make it stiff, but it probably does have some look to it. Um, the biggest complaint I get is that it, it, it not that infrequently can cause some scalp irritation. And, you know, people complain about their scalp being itchy and, and red and things like that, but not too often, but it, it happens sometimes. And um, is it something that they can just get at the supermarket as well? It's sold like with the shampoos and stuff? Yeah, I don't believe it's with the shampoos, but you can probably, you definitely can find it. I've seen it at Target, Walmart. Um, so most of the major drugstores and of course, Amazon um, is always a good bet. Is there, so again, with shampoos like Head and Shoulders, you know, as a physician, I'm like, go crazy. Uh, mm -hmm. with, with minoxidil, with Rogaine, is there any contraindication? And by that, I mean, are there any type of men, any men with any conditions, anything you can think of that where we should not recommend uh, Rogaine or minoxidil to them without talking to their doctor, for instance? Um, I mean, the only concern would have been if they have contact with a pregnant female, but we found that it's applied topically. You know, if you wash your hands after, there's probably little that would be absorbed and um, a, a effect or could be passed on in, in, in using it topically. Got it. And what, what kind of issues were they concerned about in terms of pregnant women passing like on to could, the fetus? Could it cause birth defects and things like that? But um, again, I don't think it's ever been documented to be an issue. Okay. I mean, they can be safe with it. They can be uh, you know, cautious with it. But what about for their own health? Anything that any concern, any, any uh, you had mentioned uh, the scalp irritation, which I'm going to look out for, for sure. Yeah, but anything exactly. else that we should be concerned about? Uh, because again, I always, I always hypervigilant when things are not purely over the counter, but they're over, still over the counter uh, yeah. where, you, where you don't know the person who's taking it, right? Uh, and you're not prescribing it. So basically it's fairly safe medication for people. Oh yeah, it. yeah. The minoxidil, I don't think you would um, experience experience any uh, systemic side effects or, you know, side effects that could come from taking an oral medication um, because you're applying it on the scalp. It's a pretty thick skinned, uh, you know, part of the body. So you're probably getting very little systemic absorption. Got it. Got it. That makes sense. Um, moving on to a couple of supplements. Uh, you had mentioned supplements a couple of times before. I'm going to throw a few out there, and I'd also obviously love to hear your thoughts on, on anything that you recommend to your patients. One thing that comes up a lot, both by itself and also that I see as ingredients in shampoos is biotin, like it brings, you know, it, supposedly the building blocks of the hair and it really yes. makes, it strengthens it. Uh, what's the deal with that? I mean, unless you have a biotin deficiency, you know, it's a B vitamin. So it's obviously pretty easy to get. Um, there's no reason um, that you would 
need or we feel the biotin should help. Okay. Um, so yeah, no, I mean, again, I know it's sold in a lot of formulas. And um, again, I do recommend it in women who have, you know, their hair doesn't grow fast enough, and, you know, maybe adding a little bit, but I don't think in androgenic alopecia, um, I typically recommend it. So for men, kind of a kind of a waste to, to be adding to like, if you're going out to Costco to buy a, a big bottle of biotin supplements, probably not going to do you much good. Yeah, I mean, I always say it's, it's, harmless because it's water soluble. So any extra, you know, you'll, you'll just get rid of. So I don't worry about any biotin toxicity, but if, if you're thinking just from a money point standpoint, there's no reason to spend your money on that. Got it. And this, as a urologist, this war near and dear to my heart, I saw it come up on the list on the internet was saw palmetto. And for those uh, guys that don't know, saw palmetto is, is probably the most common supplement used by men for enlarged prostate has a modest effect, but it it, it helps a lot of men. Um, I'm assuming that the the at least the idea here is the same as as the idea with the prostate uh, yeah. hormonal testosterone, the hydrotestosterone, that whole pathway. But does it work for hair loss? I mean, it's believed that, like you said, it inhibits that 5-alpha reductase enzyme that converts the testosterone to the active form. And again, there probably haven't been controlled studies, but it does show that both topically and orally um, that it can be useful. I would mm -hmm. probably not do it alone. I would probably, if you're to that point and you're actively trying to treat, I would probably do, and you're thinking I'm staying over the counter, I would probably do topical minoxidil with maybe one of the shampoos and then add oral saw palmetto. Got it. Oh, so that's an interesting point. So minoxidil, it makes sense to actually combine it with the shampoo. It's not an either oh. or. Yes, yes. And, and again, I think I always tell people as, uh, with many conditions that we treat, sometimes two, three ingredient combinations work much better than just the one thing alone, or the one thing alone may not give you the best results. But if you combine all three things, you would see even better because they're slightly different mechanisms kind of all coming together. Um, so I think that list that you that you have for over the counter stuff, um, as I said, the minoxidil if you're serious about keeping your hair, and I tell men, if you don't want to go the oral prescription route, I think the minoxidil should be for sure. And then the shampoos is probably a no brainer because who cares if you're going to wash your hair, you might as well use a shampoo that may help, even if you don't know for sure, why not? Exactly. And then again, the salt palmetto is over the counter and you can buy the supplement and I would take that orally. Got it. So it's nice, and it's nice that they don't really interact with each other in a bad way. No, which is no. And you can have a whole routine, which is nice. And so the last uh, supplement or supplements that I came across was something that actually I see on commercials all the time now. It's yes. called Nutrafol, where I, you know, I went on the website and I took a quick peek and it seems like it's, it's just a combination of supplements. I don't know if there's any proprietary there. Well, no, it's proprietary because I couldn't really figure out exactly like what is in their proprietary formula. Got you it. Because I saw I, things like, I thought I saw things like bite and other things, but maybe there's, there's stuff on top of it. Yeah. And again, you know, most of the studies that kind of looked at it are obviously paid for by them. Um, and I would say, again, it's probably one of those things that's harmless, but I wouldn't do alone. If you're already investing money in treating your hair loss, um, I would take this as an adjunct to one of the other things we discussed. Right. Not enough on end of its own potentially to, to no, really no, do that. Not, not to spend your money alone. And so, okay, before I even move on, anything else from a supplement standpoint uh, that you might recommend that, I, that we didn't cover? No, I think you, uh, we, we covered the supplements uh, pretty well because everything else is going to be prescription and actual like interventional stuff. So with this, uh, these supplements, I'm assuming that this is really going to mostly impact people with just starting that journey, right? That yeah. they're starting to see some thinning hair. This is not for people who have full-blown hair loss and, and male pattern baldness. Yeah, especially when you're looking at the topical thing. So minoxidil, and I, I, I do think it increases the hair density, but their big studies showed were geared towards showing preventing hair loss. Mm -hmm. So in their original 
you know, when they originally came out, they mostly discussed like, we're going to prevent you from losing your hair. There was never a guarantee that you're going to get all your hair back. In essence, I think the hair, the increase in the hair thickness and the density does give it a fuller look. But if your hairs are, you know, down below your ears and everything between is gone, there's probably less chance that you're going to look like you've grown back all your hair. Because is it is it growing back at that point? If you're if you have a, a guy that's really has hair loss and bald, I mean, is it just basically growing back peach fuzz at that point rather than real yeah? Hair? That's that's the problem too. The older, unfortunately, many things. The older you are and the more extensive the hair loss, the less chance it is that you're going to get hair back. So you know, if I have a 25 year old guy with some thinning, you know, in the crown there's a good chance we're going to preserve that hair and maybe get it a little fuller up there to cover more of the scalp. Mm -hmm. Got it. And so let's, let's diverge now from the uh, over the counter medicines to prescriptions. So this is some, these are, this is a medicine, at least one that I know of that you really do need to see a physician for, right? You can't just go online and and on Amazon and order it. So uh, the one that I know of uh, finasteride, or I guess the, the, uh, trade name from the urology standpoint is, is uh, Proscar. I think in, in the hair loss arena, it's Propecia. Propecia. Um, tell us a little bit about that and, and kind of who is the man that you prescribe that for, as opposed to all of these supplements that we talked to, or maybe it's both. Yeah. So finasteride or Propecia is essentially, well, the Propecia is a one milligram tablet. I think the prostate one, they use a five milligram, which could have much, much higher rates of other side effects, which we'll probably discuss in a minute, but it inhibits again, that enzyme that converts the testosterone to DHT or the active form. Mm-hmm. And um, the studies are very good. I mean, we have long-term data and um, studies show basically in, you know, three to four years, you can increase the hair by 25%. It's pretty good. Which is not terrible. No. Um, So that's the upside. The downside, and I tell people, is once you've committed to taking this medication, it's a lifelong medication or until you're old enough to decide, you know what, I'm happy to be bald now. Because essentially, once you stop, the hair fall will accelerate and kind of come to where it would have been had you not started at that age. It just bounces so, back quickly to that extent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it probably within a couple of years, I'm guessing it's not overnight, but it's it, it would accelerate and probably meet to where it would be, you know, if you were 55 or 60 or however old when you started taking it. Got it. And again, is this for, is, do you? Happens in this area and stops kind of after here. So these hairs are not miniaturized. And so the theory is if you transplant those hairs to the areas of alopecia that they will take on the characteristics of the back of the scalp instead of becoming miniaturized. And they've actually done studies and shown that it is indeed true. Those hairs, if they take and, you know, grow, they will be safe and they will, they will not be sensitive to that testosterone and DHT stuff. And so stupid question, what happens to the place where you remove the follicles from? Well, again, you basically, you take this little punch graft. So if you think of three, four millimeters, it's the base with the actual plugs. Um, So the hair, you know, in a few months, you probably would have a hard time differentiating, you know, natural from from hair transplant. Um, So it's expensive. I'm guessing it could run probably a couple thousand each session. And that one session doesn't begin to cover it. You know, if you had one tiny area, but you know, if you've got a whole hair to cover, you're looking at probably many sessions of this. And so this is like a several months long type of journey. It's not like, uh, hey, I'm just going to come in and get my hair transplanted. No, no. And not all of them take. So as any, as you know, if you're a, if you're a person who, who does a lot of planting, you know how many of your plants don't take, you know, you probably get 20%, up to 20% that fail. And then you know, you, you have to do those again at some point. So I'm sure not all 100% of the transplants will take. And so you had mentioned as opposed to the original hair plugs, what what is the hair plug versus this? Well, or is it the same? So the, so the way the hair grows, it's basically you have these hair follicle units. So there's probably like three or four hairs um, that grow out of like a few follicles. So when you do this punch, you kind of look and see and you get like a little collection of hair follicle units. Mm-hmm. Whereas when they would take this large sheet before and then just slice it like you would, you know, a brownie, 
into oh. quarters. So they weren't really differentiating these hair follicle units. They were just making little squares. I and see. And then shoving them in. So that's why the hairline never really looked natural. It looked too straight across. Because if you look, your hair never just goes straight across. It kind of right. does this little zigzag. So if you transplant the units, you're not getting these straight, unnatural lines. You're getting the natural variation that you do with hair. So it's actually brilliant. Um, and it looks great. But it's a, it's a lot of work. It's very tedious. Um, uncomfortable because obviously you do have to get a lot of pokes and things like that when they're doing them and um, it's a longer recovery because it kind of takes a while to look good and then you have to go in and do it again so it's probably a year process when you really are done well that's quite a, that's quite an investment but i mean as long as i guess at the end of the day you're getting what, yeah, you're, what yeah. you're signing up for right no, as I said, the concern would be when you transplant them, would they then just be under the same signals that the old hair was and fall right out? Right. But they actually maintain their origin, which is very interesting. Yeah, it is actually, because you'd figure mm -hmm. that would be a more systemic thing, but I guess not. Yeah, no, no, I guess they bring that with them. Hmm. And um, the the hair that grows, I mean, again, the, the other... Uh, criticism of, of the old hair plugs and, and even hair transfers that I've heard is that it doesn't quite look the same. It kind of looks maybe not quite as thick, not quite as long, kind of more looks like peach fuzz, but that's not the case, right? I mean, when they, if no, it no, takes no, it real, it's the real deal. It's the real deal. Um, again, the issue is how much hair loss you've had. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you've lost a little bit of hair, that's easy. If you've lost a lot, it's going to take a long time and money. So if you're planning to do one session, it's probably not even worth it because that would look weird if you have like a few clumps of hair. So you really want to say, you know what, I, I don't have the money or I do have the money. And if you're starting the process, you have to know it's going to be a year. And if you have the money to invest, I think it's going to look good. It's just some people start and they're like, well, I can only afford two sessions and that's all right. you get. Right, which oh, yeah. doesn't is not great. Now, the other thing I saw was uh, scalp micropigmentation. So this is not the spray-on hair that I saw in the infomercials no, no. of so, the nineties. So right? this is, if you think about it, is um, essentially tattooing, um, permanent makeup tattooing. So if you know how women get their eyebrows done um, and do the permanent eyeliner, so we call it microblading. So it's mm -hmm. a little different um, than just drawing a line of the eyebrow. They actually, um, they make them look like little hairs, so to speak. Um, mm -hmm. But essentially, again, if you're completely bald, it's going to look ridiculous. But if you're kind of thinning where you can see the white of the scalp and you go in and you tattoo the dark little lines, um, the eye can't tell if that's scalp or hair because you know, it's dark, it blends in and um, it, it looks pretty good. Again, if you're not bald and the hair is just thinning. Right. So, so this is, this is supposed to kind of fill in the blanks, not yeah. replace a full head of hair. Basically. Yeah. And I've actually referred, we do this again, a lot of women do it for eyebrows. So I, I've seen it for a lot of eyebrows, but we have a lot of women who have different issues for hair loss. And so we've actually sent, um, we have some microblading artists that we refer to. Um, and again, it takes a few sessions, but it looks very, and it's cheaper, much cheaper than the hair transplant. So that's the, that's the benefit. And, and it probably does have to be touched up every three to five years because it does fade. Um, but it looks very good. I mean, for the women that are, you know, self-conscious, and I think it, the same for men, if you've just lost a little bit in the temples here and, you know, it's just not full, I think that's a very nice option. So with, with the hair transplants, obviously, you know, there's clinics, hair transplants, surgeons that do it. Who does the, this micro pigmentation? Is it also the same type or is it just actually estheticians that estheticians, do it? Estheticians, yeah. They're usually estheticians. And um, I don't know if they have a special license to do the permanent makeup or the microblading, um, but they're essentially estheticians. And this is done like a tattoo, essentially. Um, it's a little more superficial than they do the tattoo pigment from what I understand, because um, obviously it doesn't last as long as a tattoo would, but it's still semi-permanent. So both with, uh, to that point, uh, you know, as opposed to medi even medications or, or, or supplements, these last two options of uh, the hair transplant and the micropigmentation are invasive to some extent, and they, they can be permanent. And 
that being said, I mean, with your experience as a dermatologist, um, neither a hair transplant nor microprintation requires a prescription or referral. People, they, they market to people directly. I guess the question is, should a guy off the street who is worried about hair loss and says, I want this, should they consult with the dermatologist before going that route just to get an opinion? I I would, I would, because, you know, obviously if you're going to go to a hair transplant surgeon, he's going to want to do a hair transplant, uh, you know, Um, and again, it, it may be wise to maybe start something beforehand to thicken up the hair. Maybe you'll still need a transplant, but maybe it'll be much less extensive and maybe you would need fewer sessions if we can get the hair thicker in a year. Right. And also, I just wonder, you know, as a layperson walking off the street, you really have very little insight as to what this is going to look like or if it's even right for you, you know? Yeah, no. And that's why I tell people, number one, that number two, you want to make sure it's right for you. You want to make sure that that's the type of hair loss that you have. Um, a lot of times, you know, it's, it's deceiving. You may think someone has male pattern baldness. And um, I end up doing more biopsies than you would think, because sometimes it is the autoimmune hair loss, or sometimes it is stress-related, and it mimics this, in which case you tell them, you know, we can work on it, and there's different treatments, and, you know, some of these things will resolve on their own, and this would all be for nothing. So uh, a lot of times it's, it's good to see and confirm that this it, it is what you're thinking it is and are there other treatments? And then two, you also wanna get a good recommendation. It's like a plastic surgeon, um, you know, anyone can set up shop, but you want someone who's had a lot of experience doing only hair transplant, not someone who like does it once in a while. Um, You want to make sure it's a board certified dermatologist who's had experience with the latest techniques, because I'm guessing some people are still doing the old, you know, block sections and, um, you know, they may be less expensive, but it's, it's, if you're going to invest, then you might as well go to the best. I think that's such a good point. I mean, uh, you really can't assume that any place you walk in with a shingle is going to give you the best possible care, exactly. particularly when you're making such a huge investment and something that's so important to you. Yeah. Um, and it is dermatologists that do the, the, the hair transplant surgeon. Are they generally dermatologists or are they, uh, are yes. they general surgeons or, I mean, it, I, I think for the most part, they're dermatologists. I'm getting, you know, anyone could do hair transplants, but the training is usually during dermatology residency. So I'm guessing most of them are dermatologists. Right. You, you don't want to go into something like this for somebody who's doing this as a hobby. Uh, no, no, it's, it's actually very precise. The hair follicles are separated like under the microscope. This is actually like much more high tech than it's than I've described it. There's a lot more, you know, science involved. So you really want to go to somebody who knows how to look at hair follicles and how to divide them. So it looks natural. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Now, one last thing. So uh, this this is just fascinates me beyond belief. I've seen a lot of commercials for, speaking of hats, right? I've seen a lot of commercials for these LED light therapy. I think one of them is called Capillus, but I guess the play on the cap or maybe capillary yes. uh, and Revian, where basically, again, the commercials I've seen, it's literally like a baseball hat that you wear while watching Netflix. And you it has these light emitting diodes, this LED lights that are supposed to, <laughs> you take it off and all of a sudden you've got a full head of hair uh can you can you shed some light on no pun intended on these led hats um so yeah the leds um they're basically and before they were these llts which were essentially low level laser light therapy now they use these leds which are red or near infrared light Mm -hmm. um and again um we think that they maybe increase the circulation. Um, I don't think they have any effects on the hormones or the testosterone. Um, And there's really no controlled studies. So it's one of those things that if you read the literature says, yeah, there's some increased hair density after six months. But if I, again, if I was serious about treating my hair loss, I would probably invest in one of the more tried and, uh, you know, respected treatments, um, unless I do this as an adjunct. So this would be something that, you know, if I had someone who was already on um, the finasteride and using the minoxidil and he's like, hey, do you think I should get this comb or this hat? I would say, sure, it's harmless. You might as well get the hat. But if he's like, I'm going to invest in this, 
versus using the minoxidil, I would say no. Because the data for the, basically the best studied things are gonna be the finasteride and the minoxidil, and obviously the hair transplant if you're going that route. Um, these other things probably have some modest effect, um, but not would not be my only sole treatment. Got it. And if you were to use this, this really is, again, this is not the pay, the, the person, the guy that needs a hair transplant. This is a guy who maybe, maybe has some thinning hair and exactly. same, you know, it's the same camp as the shampoos, the minoxidil, the finasteride, yes. et cetera. And exactly. if I'm not mistaken, these are not FDA approved devices uh, uh, to my knowledge of yet, or are they? One of them, I believe it was the LL, I think the low level laser light therapy, I think did at one point get FDA approval. Mm -hmm. um, but again, to get FDA approval is you have to really do no harm. Um, mm -hmm. and the efficacy is, it could be very little efficacy is the, the main thing is that it didn't probably show any damage, which I tell people, um, but it probably, the efficacy is, is less than compared with some of the other things we discussed. Got it. Got it. Dr. Gandell, thank you so much for providing all of these insights for us. Um, I think it, you provided a wealth of information to the average man who is uh, a little worried every time he looks in the mirror and uh, hoping to kind of, you know, not lose the remainder of their hair or maybe grow some back. It's It's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank um, you. Thank you. And everyone, thank you for joining uh, Better Man Clinic's podcast. And we remind you that your best self is a journey and not a destination. Treat every day as an opportunity to get that much better. Thank you. And we'll see you next time.